Well, we have been in a series called Superhero. I've been really looking forward to this series a lot. In fact, I had to beg Shane to let me teach because I love superheroes. I love comic books and superhero shows and superhero movies. Um, I almost said superhero shoes. I don't have superhero (laughs) shoes, but but I would like to get superhero shoes someday if anyone wants to buy some for me. Um, No, I, I... I love superheroes, and I love the idea of, of a superpowered person because I think there's something in all of us that wants to know that someone has the ability to do something that we can't. And we, we love to fantasize about the idea of like, oh man, if I could have powers, if I could have abilities beyond myself, um, how cool would that be? So if I asked you this morning, you know, what, would, what superpower would you want? Probably a lot of people would say, I want the ability to fly, or uh, maybe some of the ones that Jack threw out, like the, ter- the ability to turn invisible when no one's looking, uh, you know, stuff like that. So real useful powers like that. Um, <laughs> there's all kinds of different powers. And when you look at, at all the superheroes from comics and movies and stuff like that, there's literally no end to how many different ideas that people have come up with. There's literally hundreds and hundreds of superpowers out there. We've been looking at, through the life of Moses, the idea of that you and I can essentially be a superhero for somebody else. And it's going to be in a spiritual sense, of course, not a physical superpower. But spiritually, we can help somebody else find Christ and be saved by God himself through us. God uses us in the process. I think that's just, uh, I don't know if how it strikes you, but it always seemed kind of weird to me that God would use us at all. Why doesn't he just save people and not use other, people, other human beings in the process? But for some reason, God has chosen to allow you and allow me to be a part of the process of bringing other people into his kingdom. And I think that's pretty cool. It's a pretty exciting thing. And that's what we've been talking about through this series. Now, Moses, I'll just kind of recap where we've been so far. And if you missed any of the previous messages, you can always go back and listen to those on the podcast that we make available for free. Just pull up iTunes and search for Crosspoint Fellowship, and you can uh, go back and see or listen to all the messages that have led up to this point. But I'll just kind of remind you where we've come so far. So in the first week, just a few weeks ago, we looked at how Moses was prepared by God through a series of positive and negative circumstances. God prepared him to be the superhero that he wanted him to be. Week two, we talked about how Moses was called by God, that God actually gave him a mandate, said, appeared to him in a fiery bush and said, this is what I want you to do. This is your calling. And we talked that week about how all of us have a calling. We all have the same calling to be superheroes for other people. That's not just church staff or church leadership. That's everyone here who calls on the name of Christ has given, been given that same calling. Then last week, we talked about how Moses kind of went through this dark moment of the soul where he really struggled with God and said, I, can I really pull this off? I, I'm not good enough. I'm not a very good speaker. I, I, I can't really do what you want me to do. I, I understand what I'm supposed to do. I just don't think I can pull it off. And that we're actually going to pick right up from that today. Today we're going to be looking at how Moses actually stepped in to what God wanted him to be and, and actually be, was used by God to be the superhero that would free the whole nation of Israel. You know, there's a battle at play. There's, there's a battle going on. We don't see it. It's a spiritual battle that goes uh, not in front of our eyes that for people who don't know, yet know Christ, um, I think it's hard for us. It's hard for me, at least. I'll just admit that to you. It's hard for me to share Christ with other people because I'm afraid of rejection, and, and maybe you feel the same way. It's um, analysts that, that analyze these kinds of things tell us that there could be as many as seven to 12 different encounters before someone will think about 
accepting Christ. So that means the first maybe 11 times that you talk to somebody or anyone talks to that person, they're probably going to reject that person. They're probably going to say no to whatever they're trying to tell them about. And that's, that can be a scary thing for us, because I don't want to be rejected, you don't want to be rejected, um, but that's the reality of the battle that we're in. Part of it, I think, is, you know, I, I thought, why do people want to reject Christ? And I think a lot of times, honestly, it just really comes down to people don't know that they even need a Savior, that there's something that, that is, is not quite right about their life, and that there's something better out there for them. They don't, they don't grasp the concept of that. Their life's pretty good. Um, and they have a lot of things in their life that give them life or give them, uh, save them from certain things. And so they, they say, I don't think I really need anything else. My life is already pretty much how I like it. And we're going to be talking about that today. When someone doesn't even know that they're trapped by slavery and slavery to these things, these things that, that control them, that, that are false saviors, functional saviors is what we've been calling them through the series. What do we do about that? How can we possibly save someone who doesn't even know that they need saving? It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a battle. Today, we're going to be talking about what do we need for that battle. Let's, we're going to prepare ourselves for the battle, the spiritual battle that's going to go on. So we've come to the climax of the story. Um, this is the part where uh, it's the famous, let my people go, and all the plagues. We're going to kind of go very quickly through all the plagues and kind of, kind of show you the actual superhero part of Moses's story. Um, let's go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 7. If you have uh, a paper Bible, go ahead and pull up the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 7. If you have a tablet or an iPhone or an Android phone or something that can pull up the version app, uh, we have a, a live event that we always put in there for you. There's not a lot of verses this morning, but we went ahead and threw this in there for you so you don't have to go flipping around. And uh, we'll have the verses up on the screen behind me as well. So Exodus chapter 7. Uh, again, Exodus chapter 6, the end of it, um, the verse right before the verse we're about to read, uh, ch- chapter 7, verse 1, is Moses basically saying, I can't do it. I'm, I'm a clumsy speaker. Why should Pharaoh ever listen to me? Uh, he's basically protesting to God, and he doesn't want to be used by God. And so this is what the Lord says to Moses in Exodus 7, uh, verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pay close attention to this. I will make you seem like God to Pharaoh. And your brother Aaron will be your prophet. I will make you seem like God to Pharaoh. And the first thing that we need to know for if we're going to be preparing for battle is we need to wear the right colors. We need to wear the colors for battle. Um, Pharaoh had rejected any direct dealing with, with Yahweh, the true God, the, the God that Moses worshipped and the Israelites worshipped. In fact, back in Exodus 5 uh, verse 2, Pharaoh actually said this. He said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let the people of Israel go? Who's the Lord? I've, never, I've, I've heard of, we, we here in Egypt, we have dozens and dozens of gods, maybe hundreds of gods. I've never heard of your God. And so get out of my face. I don't, I don't want to have anything to do with you. You know, get out of here. Um, in fact, Pharaoh himself would have considered himself to be a god. And so he's thinking, I don't need your God. I, I, we've got enough gods, just, just get out of here. And so God is basically telling Moses, look, he's rejected even the idea of me, so you are going to have to go. You are going to have to be God for me because he will not listen to me. So you go and you be like God to him. I think in, interpreting that phrase, because I think that be like God could almost sound sacrilegious to us. Like if there's only one God, how am I supposed to be God for somebody? I think it's really in a, in a couple different ways. Uh, I think he's saying... Look, the message, which I just said a second ago, the message is not being heard. He's not going to listen to me. He's not going to pay attention to me. He doesn't believe in me, and he doesn't need another God. 
you are going to have to give him the message that I, that I want my people to go from this place. And then secondly, I think it's through just signs and, and wonders, and we're going to see that through the plagues. God says, look, I want you to be my instrument to actually make this process happen, and he's going to use you and I as well. So you and I become like God to the people that we know, the people that we work with, the people that we live next to, the people that we maybe go to school with, uh, the people that are our neighbors, our, our families, our, our family members, our friends. Um, 1 Corinthians 3 puts it like this. It says, you are a temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you. The people that we know have rejected God much like Pharaoh had rejected God. And we, you and I may be the closest thing to God that people ever see. Now, that can be exciting or absolutely terrifying, right? Like, it, it's exciting because we have the opportunity to really influence somebody to follow Christ. Um, we have given, been given that superhero power, if you will, uh, to really influence people and to be like God and, and give them the message that they need a Savior. But it can also be terrifying, right? Because we could mess it up. We could misrepresent what God really says. If we don't prepare ourselves and wear the right colors and represent God in a good way, we could actually lead someone astray and actually lead them further away from God. And, and maybe that's happened for a lot of you. You, you. you were slow to come to God or you were slow to come to the church because somebody at some point had misrepresented the true God and had actually led you astray. So we have to wear the right colors. We have to uh, get it right when it comes to being like God in front of other people. Um, when I was younger, people said it to me this way, and you've heard this as well, um, they, they used to say, Phil, when you're out there, out wherever there is, out in the world, uh, you're not just representing yourself, you're representing your family. You, you, your parents have probably said that to you at some point. Or maybe you were representing a school, like you were on, on a field trip. Or, you, know, you are not just representing yourself, you're representing your school. Or maybe you're representing your company. Um, you know, a lot of companies these days are very um, cautious about what they want their employees to do on the weekends and things like that because you are representing the image of that company whenever you do something. Uh, whatever you post on Facebook comes back to the company or the school or your church. And so that's what God is basically saying. Look, I want you to be like God. You're going to have to represent me, and I want you to wear the right colors in the process. Um, I love this verse. I saw this this week in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3.3. 3. It basically says that you, your life, is like a letter, like a love letter from Christ to the world. Your life is like a letter that was written, not, not with pen and ink and paper, but, but you're, you're acting out your life in the process of you acting out your life in front of other people. You are like a letter from Christ to the world. And, and so that, that's what it means to wear the colors, wear the right colors uh, for him. Uh, let's go, go ahead and continue on and look at the next thing. So wear the right colors is the first thing we need to know. Second, let's go ahead and look at verse 8. So it's still in chapter 7, Exodus 7, verse 8. So he actually, Moses actually goes into Pharaoh's court at this point. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Pharaoh will demand, show me a miracle. When he does this, say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down in front of Pharaoh and it will become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh. Again, they had previously been with Pharaoh, and they probably had to muster the courage even just to go back in, and did what the Lord had commanded them. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a serpent. 
Now, Shane said this before, um, the, the word serpent is kind of difficult to translate. Um, it could mean, we're not sure exactly what it means, it could mean something as, as big as a great serpent or a crocodile or something like that. So at any rate, he's definitely creating an image of one of their gods that all the Egyptians had, most of their gods were imaged in, in the way of an animal or an object like the sun or the moon or something like that. And so he's creating an image that looks like one of their gods and probably a crocodile. Um, however, Pharaoh's magicians are about to do the same thing. Verse 11, then Pharaoh called in his own wise men and sorcerers, and these Egyptian magicians, Egyptian magicians did the same thing with their magic. They threw down their staffs, which also became serpents. So now we've got an illegal crock fight about to happen, and, uh, and, it, and it's going to be one cro- crocodile versus all the other crocodiles in the room, uh, one against six or one against eight or whatever, and it's, uh, you know, stuff's about to go down. It's about to throw down here. So um, let's see what happens next. Uh, the second part of verse 12 uh, is my favorite part. It says, then Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. It's over. What, with one, with one sweep, sweep, his crocodile, one crocodile, sweeps and just swallows up whole all of the other crocodiles. You really should re- read the Bible, by the way. There's some really cool stuff in there. Um, I, this reminds me a lot of the Raiders of the Lost Ark scene. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about already. Uh, so there's a part in Raiders of the Lost Ark where, where Indiana Jones is like fist-fighted like 12 people, and he's running through in the streets of the, somewhere in the Middle East, I can't remember exactly what country they were in, and he eventually gets to the point and the crowd parts, and it's, it's, it's going to be between him and this swordsman, and this guy pulls out the sword, and he's doing this song and dance thing, he's swinging the sword around, doing all this thing, and, and what happens next? So, so does somebody know? Yeah, he pulls, and he pulls out his gun, shoots him, walks away. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just like, like, you can do all that, you brought a, a sword to a gunfight, and, and it's over, you know, and and I was thinking, that's exactly what just happened here. You know, Mo, uh, Moses and God, of course, God's power, uh, didn't even, I mean, God snapped his fingers and those, those magicians, crocodiles were gone. <laughs> so God is drawing a line in the sands here. Uh, but verse 13 is so sad. It, it says, Pharaoh's heart, however, even after that remained hard. He still refused to listen, just as the Lord had predicted. And we're going to see Pharaoh's heart be hard and hard and hard again and again and again. And he just will, is going to refuse over and over and over again to acknowledge that God exists and that God has the power. So the second thing that we need to know for battle is we need to know the battle line. We need to know where the battle line is drawn. In this scene, just kind of like the Indiana Jones scene, the, the battle line has been drawn. This, uh, you know, the battle is, is over. The battle uh, is going to be fought on their turf, and it's going to be between God and their gods. Okay, That's what the magicians thought. We will call on our gods, and they will save us. Um, the, fair, the message is, is clear to Pharaoh. Uh, Let my people go or get eaten. Um, God can, can handily win any battle that he's going to fight against, any false gods. And we saw that just here in that scene. But what does that mean for us? Uh, you know, we're not going to wave a staff and <laughs> conjure up crocodiles and stuff like that. So what, what, did, what can we do? What, what's the battle mean for us? Where does, where does the bo- battle line lie in our lives? Um, I think it pl- takes place on our knees. I, I think for us, it's prayer. It's praying for the people that, that we know that don't know Christ, that don't yet know Christ. Um, it's praying for our neighbors and our family members and, and our coworkers, people we go to school with. They don't know Christ, and we need to draw the line of battle at, on our knees. We need to get on our knees and pray for them. Now, I say that uh, to you. I say that to myself because I'm, I'm very bad at this. Uh, I, I don't pray for the people that I work with very often, just to be honest. And 
when I was praying for the, or preparing for this, I thought, you know, why, why don't I? Why, you know, why, why don't I, I pray for the people that need God? I mean, that's, this should be number one on my list. And I think it's just because deep down I'm selfish. I, I pray for the things that I want or the things that I need uh, for my fam- immediate family, and that's about where it stops. Um, that's why I think Shane's been kind of pushing this pray for three. We, we have these cards. I think we have some in the, in, this, in the cafe area over here. We want to encourage you guys to pray for three. Just, we're not asking you to pray for everyone that you work with. Pray, just pick three people, three names that come to your mind immediately. Write those down on a card. Put it on your mirror uh, in your bathroom or something like that. Um, put a reminder in your phone. Whatever you have to do, remind yourself to pray for three and get on your knees with, on, uh, drawing the battle line here in prayer. But he's also going to use us in the process. It's not going to just be praying for other people and that's it. We're, we're actually going to be used in the process, and we're going to see that here through the plagues. God uses, God is the one who gives Moses the power, but Moses is involved in every plague. Now, we're gonna, not going to read, the, we're not going to have the scriptures on the screen. You can kind of thumb through, through your Bible if you want to, but there's like six chapters of plagues, so if we read every verse, it would take the rest of our time together. So I'm just going to kind of bullet point, go through all ten of them real quick. What I want you to see, what I want you to, to pull out and remember from these plagues is not necessarily what the plague was, because I think that's kind of Bible trivia oriented, what, you know, gnats or fleas or whatever. Uh, what I want you to uh, remember, and we'll have this up on the screen, is which god, which Egyptian god was targeted with each plague, because every single plague was targeted against a false god. It was targeted against an Egyptian uh, god that they worshipped. Um, before we get into the plagues, um, remember that Pharaoh himself considered himself to be a god, and we'll see a, a, a plague that was actually targeted towards him at the end. But his main goal in life, and, and I think really most unbelievers and believers as well would say that they're tempted towards this as well. Um, I pulled this from a book. It says this about Pharaoh. He, his job was to keep or, that the universe was to exist in a harmonious whole, with each part contributing to the well-balanced system. So did you hear it? Balance, order, harmony. That's what Pharaoh wants. So what does God bring? He brings unbalance, chaos, dissonance. He's going he's gonna to bring absolute turmoil to not just Pharaoh, but to the land of Egypt. And he's doing that for their good. He wants to show that he is the only true God. He does this through 10 plagues. So let's go ahead and run through them. Hold on, hang on tight. We're going to go pretty fast. Um, I'll go spend maybe about a minute on each one, but I just want to kind of give you an idea of what they were targeting. So the first one is turning the Nile to blood. The very first thing that God does is he turns the Nile water uh, to complete 100% blood. And uh, this would have targeted the, the Egyptian god uh, Hapi, I think is how you pronounce his name, is H-A-P-I, uh, the god of the Nile. They actually had a god just for the Nile River, and they, worship, they would bow down and worship the Nile, uh, actually. The, um, archaeologists have uncovered hymns, songs, written to the Nile, and, and, the, and they would worship it as a god. Um, on the practical side of things, of course, this this uh, plague would have affected their agriculture and their, just their, their food supply, their way of life. God is, is showing, look, you may, you may bow down and write songs and worship Hopi, but I am the only God, and, and this God cannot save you from this plague. Second one, uh, plague number two, is frogs. The Egyptians worshipped a God named Heket, and Heket was always pictured with the head of a frog, 
Uh, he was seen as the giver of the breath of life. And this is one of my favorite ones because what happens after, there's fro frogs everywhere, by the way. There's just, the whole land is just hopping with frogs everywhere you go. You, there, there's no place where there's not a frog on the ground, inside your home, on the streets, uh, in your uh, Flintstone car, everything that they had back then. It, it was, the, the frogs were everywhere. The very next thing is God snaps his fingers and they all die. So you've got the God, Heket, the giver of the breath of life, supposedly giving the breath of life to these frogs and every human being, and all the frogs die. And God's saying, who's the giver of the breath of life? I am. Heket is not the giver of the breath of life. He cannot save you from this plague. Uh, plague number three is gnats or lice. We're not quite sure exactly, but small insects. Now, one, one gnat annoys you. <laughs> you get constantly, it gets in, in your nose or your mouth or your eyes, and you're constantly swatting it away. Um, maybe you've seen a swarm of gnats, like around a, like a light post or something like that. Uh, imagine living in a continual swarm of gnats all the time. That's what happens in this plague. This attacked uh, Geb, the god of the earth, it's really also an attack on the priests because the priests back then had to be ritually clean. Um, if you've read some of the Old Testament, it's very similar to what you see with Hebrew laws. They had to you know, wash themselves and do all these things. They couldn't touch things. Lice everywhere, all over the priests, it would have completely shut down their entire worship, their whole form of worship. Um, at this point, the magicians turn to Pharaoh and they say, look, we can't replicate this one. <laughs> uh, the first couple plagues, they had kind of s somewhat replicated what God was doing. But when it comes to the gnats or the, the lice, they say, this is the finger of God. We, we cannot replicate this one. They're basically telling Pharaoh, look, wake up. It's time to give in, but he doesn't. Fourth plague, flies or fleas. Now, uh, small biting insects. This attacked uh, Kepri or Keper, the, the god... Um, a God who is always pictured with the head of the fly. He's the God of creation. And God is actually destroying creation with this plague. He's destroying all of the, uh, the land, the food supply, the agriculture, all the plants. Uh, the flies come in and just wreck everything that they can find. Uh, it's specifically mentioned in the fourth plague that the Israelites aren't affected by this. So you can kind of picture there's like a, a, a section of the, of the city that the Israelite slaves were allowed to live in. And, and there's flies everywhere around this area, but there's like, a, like an invisible dome over Israel where Israel is stationed. And there's no flies or fleas anywhere where they are, but it's, also, it's always affecting all of the Egyptians. Um, Pharaoh starts to barter with Moses and Aaron at this point, but he doesn't make good on his promises, and the plagues continue. Fifth plague is livestock pestilence. The gods, or the, the cows themselves, much like modern-day India today, the cows were seen as sacred in Egypt, and they, they would worship them. They had a, a, a god named Hathor that was picture, always pictured with the head of a cow, and they would worship him as, as god. And he was seen as the god of protection, that he would protect their animals, he would protect their crops, um, he would protect just their way of life. And God says, look, Hathor is not going to save you. Um, Hathor is not real. He can't do anything to save you from pestilence. And there's a verse that actually says that all of the cows die in Egypt. Every cow just kills over and dies. This is going to absolutely affect their commerce. It's going to affect their worship. It's going to affect their, their food supply, everything like that. Uh, sixth plague is boils. Uh, a, a swelling, painful inflammation. This is one of the first ones that really affects the people. They, every person gets affected with, with this skin inflammation. It affects their animals as well, so this is affecting their food supply as well. 
Um, this was most likely directed at the god Emotep. If you've seen the mummy movies, then you probably know a little bit about Emotep. Uh, Emotep was a, an actual dude that, that lived even before Pharaoh, but they worshipped him, when he, after he died, they worshipped him as God. He was seen as the god of medicine. So God is saying, look, you know, I'm going to send painful boils upon everyone there. Emotep, the god of medicine, is useless. He is not going to be able to do anything to protect you from this. Seventh plague is hail. This would have been a direct attack against the Egyptian goddess Nut, who is the sky goddess, kind of a funny name for a goddess. Um, this would obviously halt everything. If there's hail falling everywhere you go, uh, no more travel, no more commerce, uh, no, society itself shuts down. People actually die. There are Egyptian people that have died during this plague. And Nut can't do anything to stop it. Uh, Pharaoh says, uh, he actually utters the word sins. I have sinned at this point. So he's starting to break down a little bit with the seventh plague. Now, the eighth plague was directed against uh, the Egyptian god of killer rock music. Isn't that right, Jack? <laughs> okay, so I'll let you in on the inside joke. When I first met Jack, he was a part of a band called Eighth Plague. And uh, am I right? That, that band was named after this eighth plague in the Bible, in Exodus? Killer, killer rock music. <laughs> okay, so um, no, God did not rain down killer rock music upon the people. Um, <laughs> Uh, he rained down uh, locusts, was the eighth plague, uh, which, which Jack's band, former band was named after. Um, so the, the Egyptian god Seth was the god of, of uh, the protector of crops. And so, of course, the, it's, I mean, God is doing this on purpose. Uh, the very god that is supposed to protect the crops is the god that, that the, the one that's pictured with the head of a locust is the one that absolutely ruins all the crops. So whatever crops are left after the flies and the lice and the gnats and all that, the, fly, uh, the uh, locusts just absolutely eat everything up. And, he, and God says, you're protector of crops. He's useless. He's not going to do anything to stop this. Uh, plague number nine is uh, darkness. And the sun itself was worshipped as God. Some of you probably remember this from high school or maybe from a movie or something, that Ra was a god. And Ra was, was the sun god, not only the sun god, but the chief god. He was like the Zeus of their gods. And with this last, some people consider this to be the last plague. We'll get to the 10th one here in a second. But some people say, well, this is the last plague. It's going, god is, himself is going after their chief god. Like, even your chief god is not going to be safe from me. I'm going to attack even him and completely wipe him out. So they would worship, the, they would bow down and worship the sun. The sun's gone, and it's just darkness everywhere. And, god, and God's saying, look, Ra is not real, and he cannot protect you from me. And then the last one, and again, this is maybe a plague. It just depends on how you look at it, but it's the death of the firstborn son. And, and a lot of you know this story, but the 10th plague is basically every firstborn son in every household in Egypt dies, every single house. The, the, the scripture is very clear. It says that there was not a household in the entire land of Egypt where someone did not die. So you've got a dead body in every house. And God, this is, this is the, the final point. Pharaoh gives in at this point. He's had enough. Even his son, Pharaoh's son, dies. Who's, who's this uh, attack against? The, which, which God is this uh, against? It's Pharaoh himself. Like I said, Pharaoh was considering himself a god, that people would bow down and worship Pharaoh as God. Yahweh, the true God, has just now killed a god, killed a god-to-be. Um, the, the son, Pharaoh's son, would have been the next incarnate god of Egypt. And, and, and Yahweh, the true God, says, he's not going to be your god, and, and I will show you who gives life and, and protects everything that, that means the most to us, which is family. So all that to say, 
I think we made it abundantly clear. The third thing we need to know about the battle is we need to know the enemy. We, have to, we need to remember who the enemy is. I think the church has gotten this wrong in the past, to be honest. We've, we've attacked people. We've attacked each other. Um, we, you know, I'm not going to name any churches or any kinds of people, but you, you know the people I'm talking about, the people that judge, that yell, that scream, that say you shouldn't do this or that, that judge people and attack people. That is not what's going on here. Um, God is the one who does any kinds of work here. He's using Moses in the process, but Moses never attacks anybody during any one of these plagues. He only does what God tells him to do, and then God himself judges, and God, God himself uh, rains down these plagues upon the people. God specifically is not even attacking the people. Some people get in the way, and, and again, that 10th plague, there's a firstborn son that gets killed. The, the, God, the people are punished to a certain degree, but God is specifically going after their gods, their false functional saviors, the ones that were supposed to save them. Now, maybe you and I don't really struggle with worshiping Ra or Emotep. These are not the things that we struggle with, but what are some of the things, the functional saviors that we struggle with in, in our lives? And, and even if you're a follower of Christ, maybe some things you still struggle with and you're still wanting God to rid you from. But So maybe it's thing, things that make us feel good, like uh, lust or greed, addictions, to all, all, any kinds of things, religion, relationship issues. There are gods, there are functional saviors in our lives that that take over us, that we look to, to make us feel better about ourselves or just ease the pain, ease the, ease the worries of life a little bit. And this is what's going to attack the people that we know, especially the people that don't know Christ. They are under attack by all these false gods, these functional saviors that, that say, look, I can, I can protect you from this. I can save you from that. I can make you feel better about this. And what God wants to say to them is, look, they cannot save you. The things that you are leaning on, for your protection or for your safety, they're not going to do anything to help you. And, and God made that abundantly clear with the Egyptians. He wants that to be abundantly clear with the, the people that are in our lives. So you and I have to be God's instrument to attack people's gods, their functional saviors. Not We don't attack the people. We love the people. We serve the people. In fact, let me put it this way, and I, I thought of this just a couple days ago. It, it struck me that if anything, we're acting in love when we attack people's functional saviors. Think of it this way. I, I've never been in the armed forces, and I, I probably never will serve. If, if, you, if you know someone who has served in the armed forces, a lot of you have fam family members, extended family, or maybe your immediate family ha that have served. They are fighting your battles for you. So we have the freedom that we have because we, ha we know people who are, have fought for our freedom. We, we, we enjoy freedom because they have fought the battle. I have never fought a battle. I, never, I probably never will. But other people have fought that battle for, us, for me. They've done that for uh, love. Maybe they've loved me in particular as they've gone to fight. Um, maybe they've just, it's for love of country. And they said, look, I have to protect the people that are a part of this United States that we, that we are so privileged to be a part of. So when you are going after people's functional saviors, these false gods that they, they probably, maybe you don't even know that they have, that's God basically saying, or that's, that's you basically saying, I'm going to love these people. I'm going to serve them. The, ba the battle that they don't even know about, I'm going to fight that battle for them. There's a ton of battles that have taken place overseas that I probably will never even know about, but somebody has fought those for me, and maybe you need to fight the battles for somebody else. And again, that's through prayer. That's also through speaking to them about the, the functional saviors in their life that they, they maybe don't even know that they have. So think about this. Who is the true enemy in your 
friend's life. And I'm not saying, you know, Satan or whatever. I'm saying, what, who, who, what is attacking them? What is attacking? And they don't even know that they're under attack. What are the things that they serve, they bow down to, they worship, that they lean on, that they rely on, that is actually hurting them, not helping them? Uh, think about coworkers, friends, neighbors, schoolmates. What, how are they under attack? And how can you fight the battle for them? Pray for them, speak to them, love them, serve them. Again, we're all, if you think of it that way, you're always going to operate in love and not attack. But let's read on. We're going to turn, if you want to turn over to Exodus chapter 12. We skipped all, all those chapters because I just wanted to kind of quickly go through those. Exodus chapter 12. Um, if you know the story, um, you know that the Israelite sons actually did not die. So all of the Egyptian sons, again, every household in Egypt, somebody died in that household, except not the Israelite people. And we're going to see that here in a second. If you're familiar with the story of Passover, if you grew up in church, you probably know it. If you didn't grow up in church, I'll basically just tell it real quick. Basically what happened was the angel of death would come through and he would strike down the firstborn son of any household, except if you had, the, if you had sacrificed a, a spotless, unblemished lamb and taken the blood of that lamb and um, put it over the doorpost of your house. That would be basically signifying to the Lord that they need to Passover that house, which is what, where we get the word Passover, and the, and the Jews still uh, celebrate Passover t- today, and we do in a sense as well as Christians because we know that the true Passover lamb was sacrificed in Jesus Christ, something that I'd love to talk to you more about if you're not familiar with that, with that correlation there. So, um, but what we're going to look at, we're not actually going to look at the Passover, how they participated in Passover. What I want us to look at is who could participate in Passover. This is something that I don't know that I had ever noticed before, and it's really interesting. At chapter 12, Exodus 12, 43 through 45, and then we're going to skip a couple of verses. 43, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, These are the instructions for the festival of Passover. No outsiders are allowed to eat the Passover meal. But any slave who has been purchased may eat of it if he has been circumcised. Temporary residents and hired servants may not eat it. And then uh, jump over to 48. If there are foreigners, that is Egyptians, living among you who want to celebrate the Lord's Passover, let them. Let all their males be circumcised. Only then may they celebrate the Passover with you like any native-born Israelite. But no uncircumcised male may ever eat the Passover meal. This instruction applies to everyone, whether a native-born Israelite or a foreigner living among you. I I don't know about you, but I'd always kind of thought like the Israelites got to survive this plague and they weren't affected by it, um, but all of the Egyptians were affected by it. That's not what the scripture says. It says, God says, look, if Egyptians want to participate in the Passover, let them. Go ahead and, and, and bring them into the Israelite fold. Now, they had to do that through circumcision, which I'm sure was not the most exciting way to be grafted into a new kingdom. Um, but the point, and the, and the point really isn't circumcision. The point is, what would you be willing to do? What would you be willing to do to say yes to the true God and turn your back on all the false functional saviors of Egypt? So I don't know, we're not told how many actually did this, but I imagine a bunch of them did. A bunch of them said, look, we want to be included in what God's doing. We acknowledge that our gods are useless, pointless, and not real, and we want to serve the one true God named Yahweh. And so they were allowed to participate in Passover. Their sons did not die that night because they said yes to God and they were included in his kingdom. So the last thing, the last thing I want to say to us this morning is to prepare for battle, we need to know the objective. 
Going back to the illustration of, of war, you know, the people that you know that have served in the armed forces, if they don't know the objective, if they don't know the, the objective of the mission, of the battle, of the war itself, then they're not going to be able to accomplish it. They're not going to be able to do the right thing when it comes to the moment where they have to choose. So we, you and I need to know the objective. What was the objective for the Israelites? Freedom for all. Anyone, anyone that wants to be saved through Yahweh, freedom circumcision, and then you're included, you're safe. You, you say yes to God, and you can be included in the freedom that we have. Um, God tells them that he wants to give the opportunity for all of them to become Israelites, and that is what our mantra is as well here at Crosspoint. The way that we say it is we want to stream non-fans. We want to stream everyone that doesn't know God to him, and we want to include them. So the objective is inclusion, not exclusion. It's never going to be exclusion here and, and hopefully any other church. Uh, we want to stream everyone that we can to know this God and to include them in the safety that he brings. Um, I thought of this yesterday when I was kind of wrapping up the last thoughts on this message. It's kind of, kind of interesting, and I, I, it was, I don't know if I'd heard this before, but essentially when you think about it, the Israelites were under physical slavery. They were physically enslaved. They were whipped, they were beaten, they were forced to make bricks with no straw. They were physically s slaves. Spiritually, they were free. They had freedom in, in, in God, the, the coming Messiah. They had freedom in the, the true, one and only true God. The Egyptians, when you really think about it, they were the opposite. They were physically free. They didn't have to be beaten or whipped or be told what to do. They got to live their lives the way that they wanted to live them. But spiritually, they were enslaved. They were completely enslaved to these false gods, these functional saviors that they believed in, that, that they would trust in. And then God comes in, and just in the span of a matter of days or weeks, he says, it, you, what, do you got, what you guys are doing is pointless. You, you're, you're trusting in things that cannot save, and they are not even real. So we, we have to help people, though they think they are free, we have to do what we can to love them, to serve them, and to point out some of the things that may be hurting them that they think are actually helping them and actually saving them. So the last thing is stream uh, everyone to God. So just to recap this morning, uh, the four things that we need to prepare for battle is, one, we have to wear the colors. We have to, you and I are, the, are maybe the, best, the closest thing to God that anyone will ever see. And you have to know that. I know it's hard. It's, it's hard to just go to work every day and think, oh, yes, I'm going to represent God today. You've got to wake up every morning thinking, how am I going to represent God? Second, know the battle line. That's going to take place on our, on our knees primarily. We're going to uh, pray for people that need him because we know that the battle line has been drawn on their turf and God is the only one that can really influence them spiritually, even though he uses us. Third thing, we need to know the enemy. You and I cannot go into battle if we are fighting against flesh and blood, which is what Paul calls it in the New Testament. He says, we don't fight against flesh and blood. We don't fight against other people. We fight against the things that are attacking them, the spiritual things that, that they are enslaved to. And then the fourth thing, we always have to remember the objective. The objective is inclusion, not exclusion. We want everyone to be a part of the kingdom of God. Look, guys, evangelism is hard. I get it. I, I, I'm, I'm just as much afraid as you guys are and it's just as hard for me, if not, it may be harder for me than it is for you to, to talk to people about Christ. I, I, get, I get that, um, but we have to try. Remember the seven to 12 thing. It may be seven to 12 encounters before someone ever decides to follow Christ, but we have to keep plugging away. We have, it's a battle. We have to keep trying and going to prayer and going to them 
um, with loving words is, is the way that we're going to do it. We want to see this place, Crosspoint, or if we're in a new building, we, as we grow, we want to see Crosspoint full of people that have just come to know Christ through people who are, call themselves Crosspointers. So I want to pray for you now. Um, let's go ahead and have the bands come. And if you want to just, um, just bow your head just for a second, because I, I, I don't, if, if you... Um, you know, want to say yes to something or have me pray for you. I don't necessarily want you to have to do that in front of everybody, but um, if you want to raise your hand, I just want to ask you a question this morning. Um, are you ready to, to go to battle to save lives? Are, do you feel like you're ready this morning? And some of you this morning say, look, I've, I've been walking with Christ for 20 years, I, 30 years, 40 years. I still don't feel like I'm ready. Um, maybe you know exactly who you need to go to, to talk to and to pray for, but it's just hard. It's just hard for you to go to them and talk to them. You're, you're afraid or, or you just don't think about it. Maybe you're selfish like I am, I, you know, where I just constantly want to pray for myself and not for anyone else. What is it for you? What, how, can I, how, can, how can we encourage one another to do this thing, to step into battle? So if you're struggling with that this morning, if you're afraid, if you need prayer, if you want me to pray for you this morning, I would love, I would love to just uh, silently, like, I'll be in the back. I, I can pray for you back there. Uh, or you can come back and talk to me. But if you just want to raise your hand and say, look, Phil, would you pray for me? I, I really need help with this in this area. I'm, I'm afraid, or I don't feel like I'm ready. You just raise your hand silently. I'd love to pray for you. Okay? I'm raising my hand. <laughs> I want to pray for you right now. And then as the band starts to, to sing and play, um, you can stand and, and worship God. Maybe you need to get down on your knees right now. And maybe you've never done this before, but actually pray for somebody that you know. And maybe you just need to do that while Amanda is singing. And maybe you don't need to sing right now. Um, just Maybe just kneel before God and pray for that person. If you want to pray with either me or Shelly, um, we'll have a male and a female in the back. If you want to go ahead and, 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 and go back there and pray. If you don't, just want to pray for somebody else with somebody else, uh, I, I encourage you to go back and do that during this song. Um, you can pray for me as well. I, I need help in this area. So uh, let me pray for you right now. God, this is tough. This is, this is hard stuff. Things that, that we don't want to do if we're really honest. And, and yet we know that it's stuff that we need to do. We know that it's stuff that you're calling us to do. Um, evangelism is hard, but we know that the battle is yours. So Lord, would you just empower us, give us the boldness, uh, take away our fear, Help us to not be so selfish and to love others by attacking the things that, are, that they are themselves are under attack by. Lord, we love you, and we, we just want to be used by you in whatever way you can. In your name I pray, amen.